Hello, and welcome to From God to Us. We are in our current series on election and free will. We're getting close to the end now as we have gone through various aspects looking at the five points of Calvinism, comparing those with Arminianism, but also looking at some other broader topics of the sovereignty of God and the love of God. Before we wrap this up, I wanted to take one session and focus on the gospel of Jesus Christ kind of take it away from this theological discussion of how God saves, does he choose, does he not choose, does man have free will, does he not have free will. We, we kind of get caught up in those theological discussions, and sometimes the gospel gets lost in all of that, and so we want to give a clear explanation of the gospel and make sure that regardless of which side or whether you land in the middle or whatever it is, that the gospel message of Jesus Christ is very clear. So that will be the focus of this session today. So we look into the scriptures and we look at this word gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ. The word gospel simply means good news. So what is the good news of Jesus Christ? The word good news can mean a lot of things. It could be good news if you get a job promotion or you get a new job or you get a raise. That's good news. If you're a student and you make a good grade on a test, that's good news. If you get engaged to be married or you get married, maybe that's good news. A lot of things can be good news to us. But the good news of Jesus Christ is what we want to focus on today. When we look at what is the gospel I'd like to focus first on 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 5, where I think Paul gives us the gospel in a nutshell. There's so much more to the gospel throughout the scriptures, which we will expand upon this, but Paul brings it kind of to the basic elements of what the gospel is. And so on those verses we read, Now, brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved, if you hold firmly to the word I preach to you. Otherwise you have believed in vain. For what I received I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Peter and then to the twelve. Paul breaks the gospel down to these basic elements. Jesus died for our sins. He was buried, which is the evidence of his death. He arose from the dead the third day, and he was seen by many, which was the evidence of his resurrection. So the two things, he died for our sins, and he arose from the grave. Those are the basic tenets of the gospel itself. But now let's see that and expand upon that a little bit, because it's important to understand the details. Jesus died for our sins, and why is that important? Well, we've looked at that a little bit as, as we talked about the depravity of man, but I want to focus on a few things. The reason it's important is because we're sinful and there's a problem with our sin. The scripture tells us that, that no one is completely righteous before God. Romans 3, 10 and 11 says, As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. Meaning that, we may seek after a God or some kind of God, but no one truly understands God because our sin 
gets in our way and and we don't really have a full comprehension and understanding of who God is and and we're basically unrighteous and we can't reach God in our own righteousness. In fact, Romans 3.23 tells us, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All people, from Adam and Eve all the way down to today, all people have sinned. Sin is anything that we do that does not honor God or goes against His Word or His revelation. So anytime we disobey the Word of God or we dishonor God in some way, we have sinned. We have done wrong. The result of sin we find in Ephesians 2, 1 through 5, which we've already seen, but is that we are dead in our sins. In those in that verse in Ephesians 2, we read, As for you, you were dead in transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who now is at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive in Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. This death is a spiritual death. Sin causes us to be spiritually dead. We are alive physically, but sin is killed in some sense or has caused our spirit to be dead, to be separated from God. Also, the result of this, we find John 3, 18, Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. Our sin situation, our sinful situation, causes us to be condemned before God. God says we are condemned because of our sin. We cannot be in the presence of God. We cannot dwell in the presence of God because our sin separates us from God. In fact, Isaiah 59, 1 and 2 says, Surely the arm of the Lord is not too short to save, nor his ear too dull to hear, but your iniquities have separated you from your, your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear Sin separates us from God. It's not that God isn't able to save. He says that. His arm is not too short that he can't save you. But your sin has separated you from your God. And I think that's important for us to understand what sin does in our lives. Finally, in Ephesians 2, 11 through 12, Therefore, remember that formerly you who were Gentiles by birth and call uncircumcision by those who were call themselves the circumcision. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from the citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of promise without hope and without God in the world. Without Christ, we are without hope and without God in the world. This is the situation that our sin places us in. And then the second part of that is that mankind deserves God's judgment. Judgment comes after physical death. Hebrews 9.27 says, Just as people are destined to die once and after that to face judgment, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many. We are destined to die once physically and then comes judgment. And the only way to avoid that judgment is through Christ, through his sacrifice for our sins. Romans 3.23 says, The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. What we earn, what we deserve from our sin is death, 
separation from God and judgment. And this is the situation of mankind. This is what we call total depravity. And mankind, no person, no human, man, woman, boy or girl, can make their way to God on their own. They can do nothing to set aside this judgment that they deserve because of their sins. The person needs a Savior to intervene and to intercede for them. So Jesus Christ came into this world to be our Savior. He died on the cross and shed his blood. That's what Paul said there in Ephesians 15. He died for our sins. He died on the cross. He suffered a physical death. He also suffered, in a sense, a spiritual death when he was separated from God. And he cried, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And there on the cross, as my sin and your sin were placed on him, Jesus died and suffered there for us. Romans, back to Romans 3, through 26, says, The righteousness of God comes through faith in Christ Jesus to all who believe. There is no difference for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented him as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. He did this to demonstrate his justice because of his forbearance. He had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his justice at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Christ Jesus. His death was a sacrifice for atonement through his blood. Jesus Christ died in our place. He bore our sin in his body when he died on the cross. Hebrews 9:27 through 28 tells us he died to take away our sins. Just as people are destined to die once and after that to face judgment, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many. And he will appear a second time not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. He died as a sacrifice to take away our sins, to take away the penalty and the burden for our sins. Galatians 3.13 tells us he died to deliver us from the curse of the law. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hung on a pole. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. He redeemed us from the curse of the law. The law was a curse because when the law was given, it was perfect, but no man is perfect. People broke the law, they disobeyed the law, and became sinners. Therefore, they were under the curse of the law, and he came to redeem us from that. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says he became sin for us. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that we in him might become the righteousness of of God. He became sin for us. He had no sin. He was perfect, but he became sin for us. Somehow God placed our sins upon Jesus. He died to purchase us for God. 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect, We were purchased, bought. That's what redeem means. We were bought. We were redeemed by the blood of Christ. He purchased us for God. And finally, in Colossians 1, 13 through 14, he died to provide forgiveness of sin. 
For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. All these things Jesus did for us when he died on the cross and shed his blood. He provided for the sin of mankind. He purchased us. He bought us. He died in our place. He took the penalty that was due us upon himself when he died upon the cross. But that's only half of the gospel message. He died, but then he rose again. Matthew 28, 1 through 4, his tomb was empty and it was opened. After the Sabbath at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow and the guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. And then the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He is risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples he has risen from the dead and is going ahead into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. The tomb was empty. It was open. And the angels declared that Jesus was alive. He had risen from the dead. If we look further into 1 Corinthians 15, verses 6 through 8, he was seen by many. He was seen by the twelve. And it says, After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James and to all the apostles. And last of all, he appeared to me also as one abnormally born. There were many people who saw the resurrected Jesus and could testify to that. Even when Paul wrote this letter to the Corinthians, there were people who were still alive who saw the resurrected Jesus. He was alive. He had risen from the grave, never to die again. And Paul goes on in this chapter 15 to let us know that there is no salvation without the resurrection Verses 12 through 19, he says, But if we preach that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But he did not raise him from the dead, if in fact the dead are not raised. But if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. Paul is saying without the resurrection, there is no salvation. If Jesus came and only died, but didn't raise from the dead, he's no different from any other person. Plus, he didn't do what he said he would do. He said he was going to suffer, he was going to die, and he was going to rise again. If he didn't rise again, then he wasn't truthful about what he said. He could not be our Savior. He could not sacrifice himself for our sins because he was yet a sinner too. Without the resurrection, there is no gospel. The resurrection is crucial. Jesus' death for our sins and his shed blood... It's absolutely important, but also his resurrection is absolutely important. This is the gospel message. Jesus died for our sins, and he rose again the third day. So what does that mean for us? How can we have this everlasting life? How can we receive the salvation? Admitting our need for a Savior, confessing our sin, 
and then trusting and receiving Jesus Christ as our Savior. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. It is by faith, by trusting and believing that Jesus Christ died on the cross for you, died in your place to pay for your sins. You can have that everlasting life by faith. We've seen some of these verses before. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works that no one can boast. John 6, 47, Jesus said, Verily, verily, I tell you, the one who believes has eternal life. Romans 4, 4 and 5, Now to the one who works, wages are not credited as a gift, but as an obligation. But to the one who does not work, but trusts God who justifies the ungodly, their faith is credited as righteousness. You see, we come into everlasting life. We receive the righteousness of God. We receive salvation. We receive forgiveness of sins. We become children of God. What? By faith in Jesus Christ. John 1, 12 through 13, it said, To all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or of a husband's will, but born of God. We become new creations, new individuals. We become children of God. We receive the gift of salvation. We receive God's grace all by faith, by faith in Jesus Christ. Salvation is the gift that is given through a response of faith. These verses clearly teach us that. Grace is a gift that is given freely. Faith is simply believing and trusting in someone or something. It does not come by our own efforts. Faith is not a human effort. It's not a work. God does the saving, let's be sure. God is the one who saves, but he does it through the finished work of Christ. And he saves all those who place their hope and faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Salvation is the result of the work of Christ and faith of the individual. This is how salvation comes to us. And whether you are an Arminian or whether you're a Calvinist, salvation is found in Jesus Christ and in Jesus Christ alone. And there must be a response of faith. Salvation follows faith. This is clearly taught throughout the New Testament. The result of this faith, the result of salvation by faith, is that we become born anew. Jesus told Nicodemus, Very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, You must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. There's a new birth. There is a spiritual birth that must take place. And that happens when we trust Christ as Savior. There's a new birth that happens as a result of faith. Also, we are declared righteous. We already saw that in Romans chapter 3. We become a new creation in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, anyone who is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. We become a child of God, Galatians 3, 26 and 27. 
You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. Sons of God are children of God through faith in Christ. Other verses, we receive eternal life. That was John 3, 16 through 18. We have forgiveness of sins, Ephesians 1, 7. We are rightly related to God, Romans 5, 1 and 2. We receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, Ephesians 1, 13 through 14, which says, And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in him with the seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is the deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. We receive the gift of of the Holy Spirit. All of these things happen as a result of salvation, as a result of what Jesus Christ has done, and as a result of faith that's placed in him. This is the gospel message. Jesus Christ died for our sins. He was buried. He rose again the third day, and he was seen by many. Jesus Christ is alive, and he offers salvation to all who believe in him. There must be a response of faith to the gospel message. I hope you know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. This, we haven't said much about the Christian life here. Of course, we are to live faithfully according to the scriptures once we come into that relationship. But we're talking about that gospel message that brings us into salvation, that brings us into a right relationship with God through Jesus Christ. This is the gospel message, and this is what we must not allow to get lost in our discussion of election and free will, of Arminianism and Calvinism. We must proclaim the gospel clearly, that Jesus Christ came into this world to die on the cross, to pay for the sins of people, and to rise again the third day, so that all who receive him by faith will have everlasting life. I hope you know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior today.